The reading this morning is taken from the Gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 10 to 31. John 20. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins... They are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thomas, good name for our sons. From doubt to fear. That's our brief this morning and uh, some of you will know that this Sunday is um, in the ecclesiastical calendar anyway, the Sunday when the clergy have uh, a free day. It's, uh, hence it's called Low Sunday. How can you follow the resurrection? Well, some of us have to work and here we are. Um, I want to give you ten reasons why I don't wash. Listen to these very carefully. Number one, I was put off washing as a child because I was forced to. Number two, people who wash are hypocrites. Everyone knows that. They think they are cleaner than everybody else and look down on them. Thirdly, there are so many different kinds of soaps. I mean, I couldn't make my mind up. It's so confusing. I couldn't possibly decide how to choose between them. Fourthly, I used to wash, but it got rather boring, so I just sort of gave it up. Fifthly, I only wash on special occasions, high days and holy days, Easter and Christmas. Sixthly, I'm still young. When I get older and a little dirtier, I might turn to washing then. Meanwhile, I'll just wait. Seventhly, I don't have time. I am so busy. And of course, I'm so important. I'm far too busy to wash. Number eight, none of my friends wash, so why should I? Number nine, the bathroom's never warm enough. And number ten, did you know, did you know that people who make soap are only after your money? Does that sound like something else? Yes. I think you'll have noticed a remarkable similarity to the sort of inane standard objections that people, so-called intelligent people, make about not committing their lives to Jesus Christ or being involved in a community of believers. And it's rather pitiful and pathetic, I think. It's a lead-in to the whole issue of doubt. Doubt. And that's the sort of theme that we are pursuing from the reading that we had this morning. I want John chapter 20 to tell its own story, so I'll try to stay out of the way and let it come before you. What we have, of course, is an encounter between different people at different times in their lives... An encounter between people and the risen Jesus, who is alive. And you will see from that reading, at the very least, four reactions to the resurrection. Or four reactions to the resurrected Christ. Number one, the reaction of Mary. I mean, what a surprise that a call girl should be the first at the tomb. That's not the way the church is like, is it? But that's the case, Mary Magdalene, with a dodgy past, and she's the first there. The reaction of Mary is, feeling is believing. That's our culture. Feel good. The feel good factor. If that's there, everything's well with the world. 
It's a prevalent way of thinking today as it was then. So in verses 11 to 13, you will see there she is. Mary stood outside the tomb and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels and so on. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And in that one name and word was a reflection of new hope, new possibilities. See, here is someone highly uh, emotional, uh, emotionally involved with Jesus, having a life turned round and feeling a profound sense of injustice and unfairness. She's fragile, she's volatile, she's there. The reaction of Mary, feeling is believing, feeling is believing. The second reaction, the reaction of the disciples, a wide variety of personalities, and clearly for them, they're men after all, uh, they're not uh, touchy-feeling, they, seeing is believing, seeing. Seeing is the all-important thing. So in verse 19, there it is. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Seeing is believing. The scene is a, is a very moving, very poignant one. Uh, it's heavy. The atmosphere is depressive. Their future is bleak. The only prospect is to return to what they used to do, fishing, working, and so on. They are fearful, nail-bitten to the nub, nub, disciples hiding behind closed doors, and their cause is shattered. It's the end of a dream. And yet, this encounter, seeing is believing. The third reaction, I want us to stay a bit longer with this one as, as it unfolds in our reading. Verses 24 to 25, where we could say, and this is Thomas now, and he's, he's the man we are going to look at more closely, from doubt to faith. For him, proving is believing. I mean, Thomas was having a duvet day, wasn't he, from verse 19, because he's not there. Great deal of debate and discussion as to, um, you know, where he was. He's one of these people perhaps who says, well, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's sort of silly comment. Um, and he wasn't there, whatever the reason. And he's not impressed with what they say. We have seen the Lord. In fact, it made them worse. It only exacerbated his disbelief. He's the classic rationalist. Not emotional. Not accepting other people's views. He wants to know for himself. Interestingly, Thomas is mentioned only twice before this incident. If you turn back in your, um, in your Bibles to John 11, and there's this account of the raising of Lazarus, and then Jesus saying, we are going to Jerusalem. 
I'm just interested in just one verse because it gives you an insight into his character, into his temperament, the way he's thinking. You find there in verse uh, 14, so they told him plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I was glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Do you see that? He's giving Thomas the challenge that you may believe. Let us go to him. What's Thomas' response? He's not very impressed at all. And Thomas called Didymus said to the rest of the disciples, with a sense of fatalism, not faith, let's also go that we might die with him. Let's have done with it. It's not the best response of, of a disciple. Turn over two more pages and you come to this classic reading in John 14. And just verse 5, I'm sure you'll know it well, it's read often at, at funeral services. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. All of that. And Thomas is not very impressed. And actually, he interrupts Jesus. Jesus in full flight, talking about the glory of heaven. Thomas is not interested. Or if he is, he can't take it on board. He can't believe it. Thomas said, well, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? What's it all about? And then that marvelous promise, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now you'd have thought that's surely from now on he's convinced. But he isn't. He isn't. This bold skeptic, this cynic, the patron saint of doubters, as often referred to now. So in verse 20 and 25, the prevalent attitude is the same today as we come back to John chapter 20. Just to see that in many ways this type of thinking is alive and well today. And uh, verse 25, for example, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, thanks very much, but I haven't. Sometimes you will find people will say to you, you know, I've experienced the Lord. And you say, thanks very much. I haven't. It's that type of thing. In fact, the prevalent attitude today is this. Unless I have proof, unless I have proof, unless I've got evidence, I won't believe. In other words, do you know what you're actually saying? And this is why the rebuke, there's a sting in the tail that will come in a moment. And it's this, you know, God must pass my test. I am the most important person in the universe and he's got to meet me on my terms. Now, what monumental arrogance is that? Isn't that amazing? That someone should actually think like that. But that's how we think. God must pass my test, my criteria. That's the prevalent attitude today. It actually... Even though it might sound terribly mild and sincere, it is an attitude of defiance. An attitude of defiance. Here Thomas is laying down his demands. So you've got almost a reversal in thinking now. Here's the sovereignty of Thomas. Here's the impotence of the Lord. Well, you have to repent of that. You'll never get anywhere in the Christian life, anywhere at all, if that's the, the spirit that prevails. Do you see it? It is an attitude of defiance. Thomas then makes demands. He'll say, I will believe if. I'll believe if. He's calling the shots. It's my intellect. It's, it's my intellect that needs to be satisfied. 
It's my terms. Do you know what that is? It isn't, I can't believe. It is, I won't believe. And the one thing that you have to do with that is not read more books or get into discussion, is to repent and ask Jesus to forgive you. How amazing, how amazing that Jesus' response to that is this. Look in the next verse. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They certainly didn't deserve it, did they? But nor do we. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, and all the things that Thomas had done, and Jesus is doing something here. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Peace be with you. Because believing is more than just logic. More than just the historic facts. It is that. But infinitely much more. It's love. It's faith. And it's the comfort of knowing that in this situation, when, when your whole world has fallen apart, and, and, and your future has gone, and that's what it was like behind closed doors, Jesus comes and says, Shalom. Peace. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. I think it's one of the things that we as free church people have slightly lost out, and particularly at communion. Uh, you know, it would be good to go around, wouldn't it, and say, to say, yes, the resurrected Christ is with us. And as you pass the bread and say, peace be with you. Or as you share together, peace be with you. Peace be with you. This response is not superficial like uh, somebody will say to you, well, have a good day. It's not like that. It's shalom. It's a deep assurance. An abiding comfort. The point is this then. At the very heart of the Christian faith, it's not religion. It's not religion. It's not ritual. But it's a relationship with Jesus Christ out of which Things like communion and prayers and hymns and listening to a sermon is an integral part of that. I was interested to read uh, in the course of preparing this sermon the experience of William Haslam. He was a, a, a Cornish vicar. And uh, I want to read the account. This is, this is a, a sort of a... A doubting Thomas, if you like, in the pulpit, who was a vicar at the time, in the 19th century. One day, much to his surprise, in those days vicars had uh, servants and gardeners, the good old days. Anyway, here we go. His gardener became a Christian. And he didn't know how to speak to his gardener. He didn't know what to do. So he visited his colleague in a neighboring parish, a fellow vicar. And he asked him, what is this about? His friend answered him like this, have you peace with God, William? To which he replied, of course God is my friend. Pursuing the point further, his colleague asked him, how do you get this peace? 
he said, well, I go for the daily service. I get it through prayer and reading and especially through the Holy Communion. I have made it a rule to carry my sins there every Sunday and often come away from the Holy Sacrament as free as a bird. How long does this peace last, his friend inquired. I suppose not a week, said Haslam, thoughtfully, for I do the same thing every Sunday. Then his friend told him from the New Testament the words of Jesus, the water of life that would well up within him. William Haslam then admitted that he did not know such a thing himself, and he left. The following Sunday, Haslam climbed into his pulpit and announced the text, What think ye of Christ? What do you think of Jesus Christ? And this is the quote from his diary. As I went on to explain the passage, I saw that the Pharisees and scribes did not know that Christ was the Son of God or that he came to save them. Something was telling me all the time, you are no better than the Pharisee yourself. You do not believe in the Son of God that he came to save you from your sins. I do not remember all that I said, but I felt a wonderful light of joy coming into my soul. And I was beginning to see what the Pharisees did not. Whether it was my words or the manner of my look, I know not. All of a sudden, a local preacher, this is a very sedate Anglican church, by the way, who happened to be in the congregation, stood up and put his arms in the air and shouted in a Cornish manner, the parson is converted. The parson. The parson is converted. Hallelujah. And in another moment, his voices were lost in the shouts of praise of three or four hundred in the congregation. Instead of rebuking this extraordinary brawling, as I would have done, I joined in the outburst of praise. He then describes, finally, how at last 20 people in the congregation cried out for mercy and professed to find joy and peace in believing, three of whom were from Haslam's own family. The news spread like wildfire throughout the town that the vicar had been converted by his own sermon. <laughs> like Haslam, Thomas is not on, it, it's not only too possible to be acquainted with Jesus and yet not to really know him. Not to really know him. Proving is believing? I think not. Seeing is believing? No. Feeling is believing? No. It includes them all, for sure. Well, what's the last reaction? And that's us, really. Because in a way, we're not talking about Thomas then, but Thomas now, you and I. The reaction of future followers, this is it. Trusting is believing. Trusting. That's it. That's what you have to do. Trust me, says Jesus. Just that. Trust me. Trusting is believing. You see in verse 29. Then Jesus said to him, and this is the sting in the tail. Okay. 
Because you have seen me and have believed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And the implication, of course, is this blessed immeasurably more. Blessed immeasurably more. Trusting is believing. And we are here today, and I say to you, that's what we have. It's not much, but it's enough. Trusting is believing. And in situations that you face, in your relationships, at work, in finance, and all these things, because you don't know what the outcome, you have to trust. You have to trust. You could spend your life in the arid wilderness of saying, I want proof, I must see, I must feel. Well, you could, but they're not enough. Trust me. Trust me. Essentially, Jesus is telling Thomas and all believers who would come behind him, you've had proof and you believe, but blessed immeasurably are those who haven't the same proof, who haven't the same seeing or the same feeling. That's the challenge of this fourth. That's the challenge for us. So in other words, even now, as we will receive uh, the bread and the wine, you, you reach out and you say, I trust. Whatever my feelings might be, heightened or not, I trust. This is my body, broken for you. I trust. This is my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. I trust. And you become a participator. And not a mere academic spectator. Let's conclude. You see, think of Mary for a moment as we, as we began the sermon. Faith that is... How can I put this? Faith that subtracts facts, if you like. That's only interested in feelings will divide your strength ultimately. I'll tell you that for this reason, because your feelings will change. They always are. Circumstances dictate feelings. We know that. And therefore, they are not a strong enough foundation for your faith. You're going to live your life up and down all the time. Sometimes believing, most times doubting, being rather unproductive. And like Mary, if you're not careful, you'll find that you'll be relying on your feelings. It's not enough. And, and the second thing is, if that sort of subtracts facts and just re relies on feelings, the second is this, to add sight to faith, to say, oh yeah, I believe if I saw, if I saw someone raised from the dead, you remember that Jesus answered that in Luke 16. Add sight to faith, you will multiply your doubts because you'll want more signs and more proof. That was Thomas's problem. What we need to do, blessed are they who have not seen, yet trust, yet believe. And that's the final application. Mix faith with nothing but trust. Feelings will come and go. Seeing, yes, in varying degrees. 
Proofs, yes. Intellectual, academic, and all that, yes. Historic, the evidence. And don't you think sometimes it's rather tiresome when we've got to keep doing this sort of thing? Mix faith with nothing but the truth, and you will have life in his name. And you see the conclusion of John chapter 20. Yes, look, whether it's for Thomas or all the Thomases that will come in the next 2,000 years, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Is that a big deal? No, it's enough. It's enough. But these are written, these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so John's gospel is summed up. The purpose of writing it, he says, is that you may believe or you may trust and you may have life, life in all its fullness. And I think on this Sunday post-resurrection that we can come to the Lord's table. And those words are very uh, reassuring, aren't they? Come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come, not because you are confident, but that you're relying on God's grace and God's help. Come, not because you are strong. Indeed, the opposite, because you are weak. Not because you are strong in faith, but that you are trusting. That's how you come. That's how you come. And that makes that amazing transition from doubt to trust. Doubt to trust.